Hello, welcome to episode number 177 of the Applog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere. Get matched and talk with a licensed professional therapist online today. And if you go to BetterHelp.com slash you can start a free seven-day trial with the code word Applog. It's a good time of the year to get some little bit help. Get therapied up, everybody. Everybody needs it, and people, people deny it. And this, this is very, very affordable, and it's very, very convenient. So you just it's a matter of texting your, your therapist, and then you can be online in a session. It's very, very helpful, especially this time of the year, everybody. It's a, it's a, it's a very dark time of the year and starting to happen. I mean, you can just see spring coming around the corner, but it's still cold and dark and everybody needs just a little bit of help. Okay. Just a little bit of help. So go to betterhelp.com slash enter the code word Apolog and get therapied up. Hey, Amazon shoppers, do you like to shop on Amazon? Yes, you do. Why don't you go to apolog.ca slash Amazon or apolog.ca slash US Amazon? And those are those are redirects, or you can go to applog.ca and click on the banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from Canada, the United States, or the UK, and bookmark all those links, all of them, just to be safe. And every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. And it's very helpful to the show. It's very supportive to the show. And uh, you know, although this this podcast costs money, it's very good that people are chipping in without having to chip in. You know what I mean? But if you want to chip in on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash applog. You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. If you want to go buy a t-shirt, which they're running out again, go to applog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash applogpod. And follow me on Twitter at simonhead666. Today's guest is Mr. Oren Amate. He is a a repeat guest. He's a court-appointed psychologist, a parenting expert. We didn't really talk much about parenting this time, but he's been on the show a couple of times, and it's always a, an interesting conversation because Oren is um, he's just gone through a bit of surgery where he had some heart surgery. Actually, he just got back to work, which I think is silly, but after a month, after being on the carving table for a month, he's back to work, and I think he won some sort of uh, award there, perhaps. I don't know. All right, so thank you so much, everybody. My friend, Mr. Oren Amate, on the Apple Lab Podcast. You're back from the dead. I am literally back from the dead. Yes, I was dead for a few a uh, few minutes, <laughs> and I'm back. Did you see any tunnels? Is there anything? Did anybody say hi? It's funny because not uh, during the surgery or anything, but afterwards, uh, the next day, um, yeah, the next the, the same night, um, I had a crazy morphine trip, and um, you know a lot of people have bad experience on morphine, but for me, now I'm only speaking. I have to be careful with what I say as a psychologist. Of so let's just say um, I've heard from people that ayahuasca experiences or DMT experiences um, can involve 
not just the lights and the the post-death experience that people think are the alien abductions, but there can also be just a great rush of serotonin, love, just connectedness with others, um, almost like doing MDMA times 100. Mm-hmm. And during the night, and I checked afterwards and found out, yeah, there was a fourth nurse. I don't even know what she looks like, but I fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. And I was smiling like an idiot. And I had this whole dialogue in my head, like, this is great. I'm so happy for the surgery. Life is grand. And it was the most powerful. Again, just imagine being on MDMA times 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just an amazing experience. But that was after the surgery. So they doped you up. Yes, they did. Um, I, I got my morphine dose, yeah. I've never, I don't know if I've actually ever had morphine. Um, what's the other stuff they give you that's similar to morphine? There's Dilaudid, fentanyl. Fentanyl. Uh, that's the power, most powerful. And Dilaudid is quite, uh, Percocets, um, heroin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I broke my leg and they gave me something that wasn't morphine because I was only oh, like four. It was something, but it was amazing. And I was, yeah. I was, that was for 30 something years ago. And I still remember how awesome it was. I mean, like it's, there's no duh why people get addicted to that stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's definitely a, um, a powerful, um, and if you don't have like will place, if I, you know, if I never didn't have will play, willpower in play being 14 and all, right. that would have been just an awesome dragon to chase. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, look, uh, we know for a fact, uh, that's perhaps the greatest epidemic that uh, you know North America's faced with the, the um, opioid crisis. So, yeah, there's a reason for that. You know, fentanyl has killed so many people. Prince, it killed Tom Petty. Did it? Did it kill Michael Jackson? Was it fentanyl or was Michael Jackson on a? Uh, he was on. There was a sleeping agent he was taking. It was a sleeping agent, but I thought he had fentanyl in the system. I'm not sure if it interacted or yeah, not. But just, yeah. But it's just the so. killer. I mean, like, obviously, if you, well, I mean, all these people are, you know, they're all artistic people. And I don't know who said that they have, you know, um, the power to, to know when enough is enough. I mean, like, Hank Williams Sr. had back pain, chronic back pain, and he would just take tons and tons of painkillers. And that's eventually what kind of killed him, you know, like, people don't know that, that how to stop. Yeah, well, it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but it's sad. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people with addictions, and I can say, now I can't say uh, definitively, but through my experience with all the people I've worked with or assessed, uh, aside from painkillers, normally we say that any other type of addiction, whether it's, uh, you know, chemical, whether it's a behavior, uh, with any other addiction, it's a manifestation of some deeper underlying issues, right? Only with painkillers have, have I ever seen people who had none of those issues before and they truly got addicted to the drug rather than, you know, the addiction being a sign of something deeper. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it's not to say that addicts don't get addicted to this as well, but I'm just saying that I've seen enough cases where they would never have been addicted to anything else. It was the drug. Now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that have that same type of dependency, but it's like playing chess or it's uh you know, being addicted to Netflix or a TV or things like that. The only unfortunate part about the drugs is there's a side effect, and the side effect is sometimes deadly. Right, but I will say that with behavioral addictions, um, you know, the side effects, uh, even though they're not chemical, can be life-ruining. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen it, like someone that gambles, loses their whole family, loses their house, yeah. uh, feels desperation, kills themselves. So, uh, you know, that's it's an interesting question, because I've been asked this many times, where people say, 
is for example sex addiction real is video game addiction or iphone addiction or smartphone addiction real and uh you know i always tell them the same answer first of all a lot of the questions about these addictions are political okay so um I, I see a lot of my colleagues who work in the sex industry they don't want to say that there can be sex addiction because to them and i know why they're saying it they're right it harkens back to real moral judgments so masturbation watching porn that in of itself is bad or it's an addiction and i say look we don't want to go that direction that's you know there's no validity to that and why make people feel bad about doing something that virtually everybody does mm -hmm. so we don't want to go in that direction but to deny the fact that there are some people who spend an inordinate amount of time doing something and it interferes with their life so i always tell people the way you know whether it's an addiction or not or whether you have this you know overly strong compulsion is threefold one does it do you feel significant distress over it a lot of addicts don't feel that because they delude themselves into thinking it's not a problem second is it out of your control and then third uh, does it significantly impact or have a significant negative impact on your life? And that's part of the out of your control. So, uh, you know, I had a client who um, was masturbating at work. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it was not in a place where he had a private office and could do it. No, he was like in cubicles and you either slip out to the bathroom or sometimes you do it in the cubicle. And part of that, that was part of the rush was seeing, you know, can I get away with this? Uh, at work and stuff like that so uh yeah that and uh he eventually got fired and you know that that and it's it's he's never used that company as a referral no <laughs> no it's true well he's really good he's, he's a bit of a jerk <laughs> bit of a jerk i it, the, i mean trying to uh, get aroused at work is to me i mean it's such a it's like you're that's a stretch i mean how how awesome would it be to be able to sort of plug yourself in to the mind of somebody who is not like you and be able to think exactly like that person, but being trained as you are, being able to sort of figure out more than you would say if you're just speaking to somebody. I mean, how far away are we from that? Yeah, I, that's a tough one because when we think of the exponential increase in technology and we think we we've gone the last 10 or 20 years, I don't think we're that far away um uh, to being able to they're saying now that we're going to be able to try i want to get it right it's something about um it's when they show they're already doing this it's, it's very rudimentary and we're a bit far away but they have people look at uh places where they've been accused of being at so let's say you murdered somebody in a particular house or someone murdered someone in the house mm -hmm. they have you as a, a suspect and they have them look at it and certain parts of the brain light up the parts that they can see it's a recognition of a room and if they've never been there before that part of the brain should not light up so you know we're, it's still rudimentary because a how do we know for certain because it's still just imagery and we're trying to make sense of this imagery so we can't explain what's going on all we can do is describe it so it's again it's still basic but it's getting there where we can see if a person's lying or not based on how the brain reacts so if we're figuring out that technology if we have people who are able to uh, have things on their computer screen move just through their, you know, commands, their mental commands. Are we that far away from being able to, again, as you say, put, almost put, put yourself in someone else's experience? Um, do you remember the movie um, Strange Days? Did you see that? Yeah, years ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, years ago. I think Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett. 
Yes. Right. Uh, and, and I tell people about that, that that was, you know, that was years ahead of its time. I think it was supposed to take place in 1999, the turn of the, the you know, the millennium. And I think it was made just a year or two before that, or maybe a few years before that. Uh, but that's kind of, you know, that, that speaks to the same thing where you download somebody else's experience and you don't just see it, but you feel it, you experience. And to me, that is, I think will be closer to, you know, let's say someone's wearing Google glasses and a bunch of adrenaline's pumping, testosterone or whatever else, serotonin, and that somebody could simulate that same emotional experience that the person's having or physiological experience endorphins are pumping or something like that i don't see that being so far uh, away from where we are now that to me would be the next uh evolution in the technology yeah so so if you know i also read that there's there's people that are they're they're almost getting to the part where they have the brain mapped and they can map the brain and they know pretty much to a degree what's happening that to be able to put it onto a hard drive like your brain uh, everything in it, and then to be able to ship it across the, you know, the, the internet, and then get it at the other side. They effectively one day will be able to sort of plug your consciousness into another body, and say if you work in England or whatever, if you you could just plug into this meat sack and walk around like it's you, and then when you're done, you 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 come back in, and they just download it all back to, uh, you know, that's science fiction, but same thing is like. How far and when is this going to happen? I mean, is it going to happen in our lifetime? Is it going to happen in our children's lifetime? And I mean, we never thought like certain things that we're doing now, we're doing now. Like 20 years ago, you're like, I have no idea. I could speak and have the whole internet in my, in my, in my hand, or the world in my hand, and then be able to sort of speak freely to you. You're in Toronto, but you could be on the moon. You know what I mean? At this point. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, like it's funny because is this the right thing or not? If this is, if you're able to download your consciousness as you're describing or upload and download it, then that's technically immortality yeah. because, you know, right. You can just keep plugging it into whether it's a, it's a machine or whether it's a meat sack or whatever else. So technically it's immortality. A, would everyone get to do that? And if so, then how do you uh, account? Like, what do you do with all the excess bodies that are going to keep piling up as, right? Uh, so it'd be, do you have to prove your worth, like, you know, to show that you get it? C, will it only be people have money to be able to do that, right? And D, the, the most profound question is, what is that actual being? If that's your consciousness, like, like, what exactly is consciousness? And I've kept myself up at night thinking about this. How do these electrical impulses in our brain, how do they translate into conscious thought? We still haven't figured that out yet. We can theorize about it. But, you know, how does it actually happen? How does a meat or like a, a, a chunk of meat, an organ like this, somehow produce this ability to Im imagine, to, you know, to, to visualize things, to think outside of ourselves? Mm -hmm. it, you know, this metaconsciousness. So are we really going to be able to capture that through this technology? And if so, how, like, what does that really mean about being human? So there, I don't know if it's Elon Musk, not him. There's another sci-fi guy or, or techni technical guy who does say that the next stage of human evolution will be the symbiosis with the computers, with technology. Yeah. That's what he claimed. And we're all, we're like a tenth of the way there, but when you interface with your, with your phone or your computer or, and there's a certain amount of artificial intelligence that can sort of like, you know, right now it's, it's like caveman days where you go, Hey Siri, play this song for me and it'll play. And like, to me, that's, 
wizardry. I mean, if you think back, like I said, 20 years ago, even you think that's amazing. Like, how did we get this far? And if we've done this much in 20 years, what's the next 20 years going to bring? And, and usually a lot of the stuff is by accident. Like they'll say, uh, or they're, they're somewhere in a lab, in a bunker, somewhere in Nevada, <laughs> they've got this stuff already figured out because they already did when, you know, they had technology that we never had. And it, a lot of it slipped into modern day, like the internet and, and certain things like, um, you know, autonomous cars and things like it, it, it's slowly, but surely we're getting fed this sort of, um, we're getting fed a, uh, a very small dosage of what's possibly going to be coming around the corner. And, and like about the accident part, usually it's by pure accident that things like, whoops, I didn't know that happened. I was trying to make a new type of bread or something. And here I am curing cancer. It's, it's a, it's a horrible, right. it's a bad example, but it's true, right? In a way. Yeah. And well, it's also, I mean, the nice parallel is that's how we learn about human functioning is by either by accident or through dysfunction. When parts of the, the brain are not working, we say, oh, this person can't learn a second language because this part of the brain or the temporal lobe is damaged. Ah, it must mean, you know, that that's what's what related or that's how we you know come up with second languages. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that accidents, flukes, I mean, that's what human, oh, sorry, that's what any evolution is, mutations, mm -hmm. right? If it's adaptive, it uh, if, if it helps people survive or animals survive uh, and, and, and procreate better, then that mutation will spread. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising or it shouldn't be surprising. Sorry that that's that technology works along the same lines. Um, you know the other thing I was thinking of when I was saying earlier about um, what's the next stage. I think an intermediary step between being able to experience someone else's uh, you know let's say lived experience and feeling all the physiology and emotions. I think the step before that because we're I don't know we're eighty percent ninety percent their way. Uh, there already is the virtual reality, but again, not just feeling like you're there, but somehow experiencing, let, let's say, let me give the, the example would be, let's say, um, just because this is, the, how, what was the internet built on? 80% of the internet, 90% is sex. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that virtual reality, whatever it takes us to, it will be sex or porn. So <laughs> if somebody is, you know, watching porn through virtual reality, and not just are they enjoying watching it, but somehow there's either a tactile sensation or they are going to get the same, you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, processes inside of them that we normally would feel during sex, mm. right? I think that that's going to be the next stage. That's, you know, the most virtual, rea that's as realistic virtual reality as you're going to get. I would think that that's doable. I'm sure they're already trying to do the technology. Um, I know that they're working on porn right now, like that type of uh, virtual reality porn. Or sorry, not actually that, about being as realistic as possible. Yeah. So can they simulate those uh, feelings? Why not? Right. Yeah. I just remind. I just. I just thought of something that, <clears throat> like, four hundred years ago, when people told stories about what happened in history, they would tell this great story, and they would say, and they would to to the part where it would it would affect the person on the other side of the conversation. They'd say, "Oh my gosh!" And then their perception of these of that story would then be passed on, passed on generations. I think we've lost that. I mean, storytelling is a, uh, it's a, it's dawn of time. How, how do we figure out what people did hundreds of years ago? Uh, you know what I mean? They had elders and they had people like wise people who would tell these great stories. But I think that's a part of our society and our, and our world is just going to go away.
because we are such a show me, show me now. I mean, visual. Right. There's no real literal or critical way of telling a story anymore because you don't need to. Right. And did I, I don't think I mentioned this last podcast. I'm, I'm kind of, I've done so many different podcasts and spoken with so many people, uh, especially when I've done the same person. I don't want to keep repeating myself. <laughs> so uh, stop me if I said this before, but did I talk about how the smartphones are kind of like the advent of the smartphone is correlated with sort of the, de the decline in civilization? Yeah, you did say that. And okay. I think that was the very first one because this is your third time on the show. So, right. And how dare okay. you do other podcasts, by the way? <laughs> Even my own. Jeez. I, I know, sure. right? Jeez. Yeah. So are you are you mounting so, the pot? Are you still doing? What are you doing with your with your podcast? You're doing a video YouTube. thing now. Yeah, I haven't done it for a while because I'm I'm backlogged in with the whole heart surgery. Oh, all that. Fell behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. You know. Uh, I did teach just so you know after the heart surgery five days after, and I say this because, um, I know my limits. Mm -hmm. I push myself as far as I can go. Uh, but I've got three daughters, and I want them to have a a role model who says. Don't ever let anyone tell you something's impossible. Try it. If you can't do it, fine. But, you know, don't just don't be limited by your own res uh, cognitive restraints or fear or anything else like that. So five days after surgery, um, I'm in my hospital bed, sort of doped up. And I gave a Skype lecture to my class. I had my assistant uh, in the class was my sex class. She had PowerPoints and everything like that. And then she put my image or my face. It wasn't it wasn't audio. It was live Skype streaming uh to my class they could all see me and i could see them and so that was five disaster surgery so uh yeah that's um yeah when you said about oh that thing yeah the surgery i wasn't gonna let it slow me down uh, i drove today for the first time my doctor said like wait for about eight weeks this was just under four weeks um when, when i had my kidney taken out the doctor said like you know a month i was able to drive in 11 days things like that so you know if, if i do it to the point that i'm hurting myself that i'm uh, in, then that's stupid you know there's no point to it but to be able to push yourself beyond what people say you should be able to do uh again it's a for my own well-being just because I, I like to push myself but b i want my children to see that uh th they would not have known except for the fact that i was gone for a week and that uh, at least one of them visited almost every day yeah the other's like whatever okay um but you know they wouldn't have even known i was having surgery i, I didn't i didn't betray any you know feelings or whatever else i was just like hey you know just gonna go into the hospital for a bit things like that you know it, it because why should i worry myself why should i worry my family you know i i want and i want to preach practice what i preach because i i try to help people realize and we i know we've talked about this before it's all about perspective yeah so you know so having the right perspective and saying, well, I could worry about this and freak out and everything like that, but that's going to impede my recovery. It's going to make me feel terrible. And I, I don't derive any benefit from it. So just do what you got to do. I don't deny that I have to go in and I don't deny that I've got to change the lifestyle and, you know, not do this and do more of that. That's just denying stuff. But to, to be able to compartmentalize and just say, okay, this is the reality that I'm faced with. I can't do anything about it aside from, you know, a few things here or there. So just. Do what you got to do. Move forward and do it, and you know, stiff upper lip type of thing. And yeah. that's another thing we've lost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I totally agree with the stiff upper lip thing. I mean, but at the same time, you need to share with. Well, I mean, I need to share too. We all need to share with what affects us and how it affects everybody else. I mean, the um, I mean, your children are you know obviously 
they're they're pretty smart as to what's happening. But but your condition was sort of a it was a it was a looming condition, wasn't it? Or was what was the? Uh... Yeah. So here's the thing that you don't know because um, I didn't know this at the time. So I, I won't give the whole thing because I I can't remember if we talked about my kidney before or not. No. Uh, no. Okay. So I'll just give I'll try to give a really quick one. Okay. Um, it's it's interesting because part of that perspective is also gratitude. Yeah. I could be really pissed off at what happened with my kidney, or I can say thank God they did find it. They got it out before it spread to my lymph nodes, and now I'm you know that's uh, I've got a very good chance of surviving past ten years. Mm-hmm. If it had spread, it's like a fifteen percent survival rate within ten years. So they I had a kidney, uh, I had you know a tumor on my kidney. Uh, they were able to remove it, and the day before I went into surgery. They had to do these um, pre-ops. So the day before, uh, they did all this, you know, MRIs, whatever, to my body. And they told me that you have a, what's called a bicuspid aortic valve. And uh, so normally they say that the flaps in our heart or in the valves, they look like the Mercedes symbol, mm-hmm. okay, or the peace symbol. And uh, that's, so it's three of them. And in my case, it's only two. Two of them are, are fused together. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I won't tell the whole kidney story, which has a whole thing where I should be pissed off about. But for all these years leading up to this uh, operation in September 2016, we just assumed that my flap just didn't open and close well, but we didn't know it was bicuspid. Okay. And it's, it's a pretty rare condition, but it's not that uncommon. So, uh, you know, it, all the symptoms I was experiencing all made sense after uh, realizing it's bicuspid. So apparently it's congenital. I've had it my whole, li- my whole life and they never knew what it was. They never knew it was that bad. So we just said, they said, look, just do your kidney operation, which we did. Uh, and again, the, the gratitude is also the fact that because of my bicuspid valve, my heart was deteriorating. So my, I was getting stenosis, calcification. And so basically, if we had found this a year later, and it was found just by fluke because I had no symptoms. If we had found the kidney a year later, my heart wouldn't have been able to take the surgery. Okay. Ooh. Like it was, yeah. yeah. So again, gratitude. That's what I focus on. I don't focus on the fact that they could have not been able to you know, perform surgery. I focus on the fact that we got it in time, right? Didn't yeah. spread. My heart was able to take. My heart was beating like a champ. And so all they said was, let's just monitor your heart for the next little while. Okay, maybe in 10 years, 15 years, we'll have to replace your valve. But for now, every three months, come in, do blood work, stuff like that. So I did that for a year and a few months. And then so in November, a two, year and two months later, uh, my cardiologist for the first time looked really worried. And she said, something happened between the last time and this time. It's bad. And for the first time, she said, you could suffer sudden death. And that's something my wife asked about, my mother asked about. Uh, my father had a heart attack. His father died of a sudden heart attack. So they were all asking me, like, you know, do you ever worry about that? It's like, nah, it's not going to happen. The doctor would tell me that. Well, now she's telling me that. Mm-hmm. So she said you could die of sudden death. So I spoke to my cardiologist, sorry, my, she, my, my uh, surgeon, my cardiac surgeon. And surgeons are different than cardiologists. They have a different perspective. So he looked at it and goes, that's eh, bad, but, you know, I can get you in next week or, you know, because I told him, I said, well, next, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Costa Rica with my family. I don't want to ruin their trip. Uh, I said, and I don't want to lose my teaching term. Uh, So I said, if I did it in February, because I figured I could time it in such a way that it's around exam time, it's around reading week, I could miss a couple of weeks uh, or, you know, uh, through the surgery and then come back in a couple of weeks after that, which was unrealistic, but I did it. Um, So... You know, he, I said to him, I said, will, will I die by then or do you think I can make it? And he goes, ah, you'll be fine. <laughs> so I went to Costa Rica, did my thing, went snorkeling, running up mountains, ziplining, horseback riding, have a great time. And then when I went for surgery, 
the doctor told me afterwards, and my personal doctor told me the same thing. He said, they said, there was no way to know how bad my heart was just by looking at all the tests, the MRIs, the ultrasound or EEGs and stuff. They said they couldn't tell how bad it was. They, he said, I was surprised you're standing. Hmm. That's how bad it was. So, and I went for a couple of months just doing my usual stuff. And, you know, I knew I was feeling tired. I knew I was feeling pain in the heart. Uh, I was short of breath. I felt pain in my arms. Um, but I was able to function sort of. Uh, and, and again, I just did not know how bad it was. So the gratitude is that I didn't drop dead. So, you know, again, I don't want to just be telling medical stories, but I always figure that the important thing is to learn from one's experience. And, you know, I hope that some people hear this and they realize that I don't have any special powers. I wasn't born this way. I was born neurotic. Okay. So mm. for me to choose to look at the positive, not to freak out over the fact that um, I could have died because of the surgery and I was put on ice for several minutes uh, because they found a hole in my heart and they had to do, some, they had to do other stuff to my heart that uh, they weren't planning on doing. So the doctor told me we had to put you at a certain uh, level, um, body temperature. They, they said you're, you were technically dead for several minutes. So that can freak people out. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I'm grateful that they found all this. They've fixed it. Uh, I'm on the mend. I have good supports. I have great doctors. And, uh, you know, and that's how you keep a healthy perspective is, you know, focusing on the good stuff. Uh, and again, not never to delude yourself, never to pretend like, oh, yeah, I can just live life like before. No, I mean, I'm going to have to make some adjustments. Hmm. But hey, it's better than being dead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had my own health issues a couple of years ago, and it was a... Uh, you know, when I was in my mid forties, you know, and all this stuff started happening. It's like, oh wow, I really need to pull this together, and and I, for the better part, I did. And at the same time, it's a lot of fear and trepidation about who you are as a person, and and the amount of and how fragile we are as people, and 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 how short life actually is. And so for me, um, you know, just trying to stay active and healthy and things like that. And, you know, mine wasn't as severe. I mean, did they open you up or was it a... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Want to see the scar? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks on the podcast. I'm going to see this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was open heart surgery. They have another technique. They haven't... It's not that common yet, but... Wow. Um, yeah, there it goes. Wow. Right it looks like too. an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> On yeah, the well, it matches now. Now it matches my. Uh, oh, you get the kidney. <laughs> you can say. Uh, you can start making up stories like you're fighting tigers. Oh, I'm fighting tigers. That's fine. I go shark. I go shark. Uh, yeah. Sharks are yeah, I know, but tigers are pretty awesome. badass. Um, That's true. <laughs> do, do you find now that you've sort of scraped, you've scraped with death what twice in a sense, you know? In, in, in well, a, three times. Three times. I, yes. I died, right. Yeah, I, I died when I was a kid. So yeah, I, I drowned. Yeah, I think you said that before. But does it give you? Obviously, it doesn't. How's your perspective now with um, what life actually is? Do, have you found yourself like that? You just is it? Is it like that? What was that? Michael Doug, was the movie? No, the Jeff uh, Bridges movie. Was it where he had survived the plane oh. crash? Yeah. It, oh, forget that. I know the movie, but uh, no, no, because um, I can't remember if that was the one where he started, go where he was feeling survivor guilt or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's. I know that he's on the edge of a building, and he's like, he's totally tempting fate, and he's just, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great, great movie. But you could tell that he's like, I'm flawless, like I'm, I can, you know, or is it the exact opposite, and you're like afraid, like because you say you're kind of neurotic. We're all kind of neurotic, like I'm neurotic, but. 
do you find that there's a uh you know you're you've 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 gotten you're lucky now like or you feel that this is something part of your life that now you're going to just move past yeah um you know maybe it's just because like someone could say i'm not very reflective which would be ironic for a psychologist <laughs> i'm very reflective about certain things mm -hmm. about reality mm -hmm. things that i do how i interact how i you know relate to people but as far as this question of you know what does it mean and life is fragile the stuff to me to reflect too much on it would almost be a rumination and you know it there's a thing called uh terror management theory and theory is great i believe in it the research sucks most of the research on it is bullshit mm -hmm. but it's this idea that we you know since we're the only creatures who know we're going to die we know we have a limited time that we spend so much of our, we, we basically spend all of our time unconsciously blocking out this realization and I don't know if we talked about this before, but I remember, I think I was like four or five years old when I realized that people die. And I remember walking with my mom in Yorkdale shopping mall and I'm looking at all these people. I was so depressed. And I said to her in a kind of loud voice, like, how can all these people be smiling? They're so old. They're going to die soon. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, right. So, you know, I remember that and that was really distressing. Like, you know, so I do believe that we spend a lot of our psychic energy pushing aside or pushing away the reality or the realization that we're going to die. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for me, I just don't see the merit personally. That's just me. Anyone else can reflect on it, but I don't see the merit in contemplating that because it would just lead to distress. Um, now, again, if I pretend I'm not going to ever die, I'm going to live a wasted life because I won't feel this urgency to sort of do things. Mm -hmm. So for me, right, my, my, my strategy has been like this for many, many years and I need it for my practice as well. And I'm sure we've talked about it before is compartmentalizing. Right. And so that's how I've been treating all this. Um, again, I, I don't, I, I know that there's certain things I can't do. I got to be careful with my diet, which I've not been doing for the last few weeks. Um, and, you know, every time I breathe, I can feel, you know, pain in the chest. So I don't know when that's going to go away. So there's going to be reminders of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I hate this because I know some people hate this phrase. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how I see life. It is what it is. Um, and I just want to keep moving forward, do what I have to do. I have my goal set or my sights set on other things that are important to me, which is basically my career. Uh, and most more important than that is my family and making sure that my career enables me to take care of my family, mm -hmm. you know, and, and value my family. Um, so that's all I focus on. That's it. You know, that hasn't and, that, and that hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Well, my, my job changed over the past six months. So, or four or five months now, but I found that there's a huge lifted weight off my chest of like trying to um, make a, I don't know, I feel happy now. I'm like more happy now, even though my job is a little bit more stressful and it's, there's more accountability and, you know, I can really, really make a boob out of myself if I don't pull my, you know what I mean? Like there's a good way, you know, right. but, but I feel that, you know, I'm, all I want to be is happy, you know, and now, and, and to me, that's more important than trying to make enough money to get through the year I mean, that's spoken like someone who makes enough money now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's always those stresses in life, you know? And I didn't realize how happy I would be when I got to a part where I wanted to be. And and for me, I mean, like, I could go until I retire in this position I'm doing now. It's amazing. I mean, it's like I write my, I make my own schedule. Um, if there's things to be done at home, I can just don't go to work. It's, I've never, ever in the history of life had not have to, like, I always have to live by a schedule. 
And, uh, mm. I mean, as my kids get older, that schedule starts going away more because it's not as important to, you know, make sure that the kids are up and going, you know, they're all doing these things themselves now. So it's just, a, it's amazing when you, you reach a point in life, you know, and I'm going to be 50 in a couple of years, I'm 48 this year, where you can sort of go, oh, okay, this is, I'm in the, you know, I'm, I'm happy now and that's all I want to be. And, and for me, I... That's all I need. And I kind of had that realization in my early 20s, you know, when a friend of mine was, uh, or my mid-20s, a friend of mine was killed at work. And I thought, well, you can take everything. I'm alive. This is all that matters. You know, when I was like 25 or six or whatever, like, I, I don't need to have money. I, I'm alive. And that's the most important part of life. But right. then it got, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then I got married, had kids and all these other stresses in life. But now, like I said, it's over the past six months, it sort of seemed to have just disappeared in a way. And maybe it's delusion or maybe it's actual, you know, I don't know. Well, it's funny because I, uh, with my clients, I try to get them away from seeking happiness. Okay? Uh -huh. uh, because I say, look, your happiness, you want to, you know, rent a prostitute, you know, <laughs> do some drops of ecstasy or something like that. That's temporary. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny as you're saying that because I'm going to guess that it's not the happiness that's making you so happy, but there's an aspect of your life as you're describing this change, yeah. this sense of satisfaction of like, you know, it's, it's the happiness comes from these other deeper things. And that's what I try to get people to focus on. Um, so, so let me ask you with a schedule, like, what would you say besides the schedule? Um, what elements of this new job or career are the most gratifying? Decisions I make are proactive decisions that carry on into months of planning that then turn into come to fruition. So the decisions I make two months ago are coming to fruition tomorrow. So all the work I've put into it, all the communication has actually turned into something that's un ended up on a piece of paper that people can read and get information. And I don't know why that's so wildly rewarding, but it is. Because all my life working with people who are technical directors, not a lot of that gets done. So my whole life as a working as a sound person in, in this field has always been, where's the information? I need information. So now I fight my ass. I fight my hardest to get as much information as I can to give to the people that work the show. And to me, that's rewarding because it's, there's, a, there's a, a level of empathy that I want to convey to the people that I work with, that I feel your pain. <laughs> you know, I understand. And sometimes it's going to suck, but sometimes it's going to be amazing. So, and that's the rewarding part of it is that there's actually it, the decisions I make become, um, become what happens, whatever, later on down the road. And sometimes it's right. a complete train wreck, but sometimes it's actually perfect. It's never exactly how you plan it, but that's life. Right. Well, one way of saying that, um, and I, I sort of have my already prepared answer, so I can whatever you say, I can squeeze it into that. But I think it makes perfect sense as part of that uh, satisfaction that you're having is that there's a meaning to your, you know, to your work, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and that's what I try to push for: meaning, purpose. Um, now, look, if you were able to uh, fish and somehow you were able to survive, and like you know, just fishing all day or whatever, it was like that. It might not have a deep, profound meaning, but that if, if that's what somebody wants to do to them, life is about, you know, lying in the sun or whatever else, if they can manage that all the power to them. Right. I always try to help people see what's important to you and you've got to be open-minded because the sad thing is, especially today, I think 
uh, with younger people. But it's, it's been like time immoral. We've, we've always, immortal, sorry, that we've immortal, that's the wrong place. Whatever. It's been, <laughs> since the beginning of time, there's been this problem of people stumbling into a career or a job or a life path. And that life path can be getting married when you're too young or having kids or, you know, living in a certain country or whatever. So that's always been around for, you know, for forever for, uh, for most people. And it's not till you get a better foothold in life. If you're open-minded and flexible and you see the opportunities around you and you're willing to admit that there are certain things that aren't working in your life or that you would like to change or whatever else, you can try to make those changes. Not everyone can do that. And there's, you know, I've got some patients where I've got to just kind of help them accept their fate. Like, you know, you're going to work in a call center for the rest of your life or, you know, something else like that. So if we accept that, that you're not going to change your career, for example, let's find something else that's going to give you purpose, volunteer, or, you know, start a hobby or, or, you know, get, meet people that will enrich your life, stuff like that. So I'm really glad that you found, you know, uh, something in your, in your career that not only pays, right, but it, it just affords you so many important things. And, and the idea of the schedule, I don't think people appreciate just how important having some control over your schedule is. And I don't know if we talked about this before, about flex time. I do think we, no, no, I don't remember. No. Okay. So I've never understood this and I've had to, I've had to beat sense into some of my patients where they had an opportunity at work to, you know, to use flex time so they could come into work, you know, once, twice, three times a week, you know, um, and they're like, no, I want to come in every day. And blah, blah. I was like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. I said, are you crazy? People would kill for not having to come into work. You know, it's just, it's a sense of freedom and whatever. So here's a few weird things about that. Number one, just because of this, who I am, I told them, I said, you're going to make sure you have at least like, you know, one of your conferences or whatever. I said, you're going to wear goddamn underwear there. Okay. <laughs> you're, you know, you have a shirt, whatever, but underneath it, you're going to be naked or wearing underwear. Mm -hmm. Right. It sounds silly, but it's tapping into that part of us, the mischievous part, part of us, like the childish part of us, the part of you like, fuck you. I'm doing something. You have no idea what yeah. I'm doing. I'm getting something over you. Right. Mm -hmm. There's something rewarding about that. Now, if you're doing it all the time, then you're, you know, you're giving into whatever. But if you do it occasionally, it keeps you alive. It keeps you young and youthful. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I say. The second thing is um, that it's, it's a weird thing. I, I, and I warn them about this. This is a crazy study that they found that people, it, it, it might blow, like, to me, it blows my mind, but people were more satisfied. People who worked at home, uh, worked like a five day work week, they were, they, they, they reported more satisfaction, more meaning and purpose, whatever at work than at home. Yeah, it's totally true. Right. I yeah. agree. So, yeah. So, what to you? What, what what is that part about? Like, why why would that be that more satisfaction or whatever at, at work? Well, <clears throat> there's a. I mean, a few thoughts. One thought is that when you're sitting at your desk and you have your work terminal in front of you, you're at work. You know, where I could take, I could work anywhere. I could do this job in like in another country if I could. Maybe I would. But there is a sense of rewarding where you've you've come in, you you take your jacket off, and you sit down, you have a cup of coffee, and you start working at your workstation. I mean, that might change. Like, believe me, this is one of these things for me where I I, I start have repetitive issues with my my wrists now because I'm on the computer like eight hours a day. But right. but there's I know people that work from home, and it's really easy to go out for a walk, have a cup of coffee, get a phone call, and then you know it makes it look like you're at work, but you're not really at work. So. It does feed into your thing where you're 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 getting one over on somebody a little bit, but 
when you want to focus on work, I mean, I did a bit of it here, like uh, I filled in when I started doing this job at home. And I was like, this is great. This is amazing. Like I can work from home. I'd love to telecommute. It's, kind of, it's a part of people's contracts now. Like they offer three days of, of uh, in an office and two days telecommuting where a friend of mine does it every day and he loves it. Personally, at this moment, if you're asking me, I think it's easier for me to go to work and, and, and be at work. Because right now, if I get an email from work, I ignore it until I get to work. <laughs> and that is another thing I've never been able to grasp until the past three months. That you leave work at work. You come home and you have a good time at home. And although you get an email, you read it. If it's important, then I mark it urgent. And that puts it at the top of the list. And when I go to work, I deal with it. I've never done that before, right. ever, ever. Because I've run my own recording studio. I've had to be a tour manager and getting phone calls at midnight. And, you know, it's just something that's like now I've made my own rules. And that's another thing is self-gratification is that I can make rules, my rules. Right. And they're not rules just for the sake of rules. They're rules that are like pretty well thought out, I think, especially my life rules. And they're my rules. <laughs> but right. what I thought before when you're talking about that you sort of some some people have to um, uh, live with the fact that you're going to be working at a call center your whole life. You know, a lot of the people that have careers have careers because it's what it's expected of them, quote unquote. Right. That people expect them to do stuff. They expect them to work, and sometimes it has a negative effect, which then turns into a positive effect because they go, "Fuck you! I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to be a sculptor," and they might become an amazing sculptor but they might not just have the knack of sculpting. They just they just do it because it's like, I don't, I don't want to sit behind a desk. I don't want to work for the man. And that's okay too, because we're all human. I just think that there's a lot of people like, well, my dad worked here and I work here and my son's going to work here. But maybe, you know what I mean? We're not all the same people. And there's a time in your life where you go, you know what, dad, I don't want to be like you. I'm going to be me. And that we all go through it. We all have. And then the irony is some people then end up going and working with their dad. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. a part of human nature that it's like, what, what is that called? You must know what that's called because it's called something. It's called, which part of that you just described like five different oh, things. Oh, just having like, just pushing away from your, from whatever you, the norm is. And then right. eventually just coming back and doing it. Well, I'm sure there's a term. I don't know what that term is, but yeah. it is. You are right. It is part of the human condition. A lot of people do do that. Um, the first part, of course, is individuation or you know gaining autonomy. Uh, the fact is, we do that when we're jun in junior high school. Usually, junior high to high school, the first couple of years, um, you know that that's gaining the independence. Is trying to be our own person, trying to individuate or separate from our parents. Uh, because up until that point, you know, it's changing a little bit these days because of bad parenting but mm -hmm. uh, up until this point you know th that was a normal process um and yeah if you can if you come back to something because you've chosen it that's all the world of difference than being thrust into this thing as you're describing and, and that's what i was saying earlier about like many people find themselves on these paths you know again it's oftentimes career but it can also be into a religion or into a marriage or something like that and uh, or even a lifestyle and it's sad even though I would tell you though, I'm going to tell you right now, it's, I don't think it's as common as far as a conscious, um, uh, let's say decision or conscious, conscious endeavor to try to step away and to, you know, to kind of 
find yourself and do your own thing. And then if it works out, you go back home or you go back to this path or you stay away from that or whatever. It's I don't think it's as common as we would like to think. Okay. I think too many people become what Rollo make called. He was a he's a psychologist who never got his due. Um, but he called it uh, automatrons. So or automatons, sorry, automatons. So these are basically people who are just part of the machinery. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they never learned anything different. And I think that's the greatest thing that parents can do for their kids is to teach them to, you know, to think critically, to think for themselves, uh, to step away and look and see, you know, hey, is this what I really want to do? If people, if more people did that, fewer people would be in university. Think about the number of, I, mean, I think that's the greatest example we see. Think of how many people go to university and don't benefit from it at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or minimally. And, and sure. you know, they could benefit. They could have benefited other ways. Read a few more books on your own, right? Uh, work, and you can find the same life lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's why, you know, every time I talk with you or in my clinical practice or my lecture, that's something that I really try to, you know, encourage people to do is truly step back and reflect on yourself honestly. That's really important because what you described about people, you know, again, I, my dad was this, my grandfather was this or whatever, um, or I should do it as expected of me. I'm, I'm sure I said this to you before, but I'll say it again. The tyranny of the should or the tyranny of the shoulds by Karen Horney, where people just don't think about why they're doing things. They just think I should do it. I must do it. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. And what people should do is here go with the should. What people need to do <laughs> is if, if they find themselves being the kind of person who thinks that way for one day, just for one day, really be self-reflective and, and try to count how many times you say things like should, must, have to even for minor things it'll surprise you you've been brainwashed somehow and you aren't going to find or it'll be harder for you to find the kind of thing that you and i are talking about um you know it's saying like wow there's different ways of doing things there's better ways of of, of gaining self-worth or you know enjoying my life better and stuff like that you can't do that until you step outside of yourself unless you're lucky enough that somebody comes in picks you up and puts you on the right path but that doesn't happen that often yeah do you think um do you think, like, say, if we made our this our own country, we're going to make our own country, and our country is is Orin and Simon's country, and is there a way to mold society or humans to be able to sort of be not just born with that, but be taught that in a in a, a curriculum that's you know, I mean, this sounds pretty very totalitarian, but at the same time, <laughs> is there any way where it can be built into? a system that doesn't sound totalitarian, but at the same time instills these amazing critical ways of thinking or, I mean, obviously something is broken between the last 20 years from now and today that for some reason, and I don't, there's such a vast conversation as to why there's a lot of theories and and my own thoughts, but my thoughts don't really account here. But is there a way to... To, to get someone on the right track as a society to say, all right, well, is there's no real course load, right? Really how to sort of handle life. Like nobody gets it. And unfortunately, the right. tricky part of life is what makes you learn the tricky parts of life, which then gives you perspective to say, all right, well, that's life. And I need to now not deal with things a certain way because I had a hard life. I, I I think I right. talked myself you know, around in a circle, but uh, is there any way to get someone on the right track to begin with? Yeah, and it's actually not that difficult. I mean, to get society would be difficult, sure. but on an individual basis, if you're a parent, 
um, or if you're a teacher, mm -hmm. okay, uh, the, the easiest way to do it, and it's, it's very uh, powerful, is to help people realize that admitting faults, admitting mistakes, okay, uh, admitting your own, you know, foibles and everything like that is not a, a sign of shame or guilt mm. or be a sign of it's weakness. empowering okay. it's empowering and it's not it's not being self-critical it's being self-reflective mm -hmm. if you can okay because but just so you so you know um of, of all the different personalities traits that we have and there's like there's dozens of different ways of looking at them but my research years ago was on self-criticism mm. and it was the most powerful predictor of depression when it comes to personality traits as somebody who's self-critical because the, the damaging part of self-criticism is, is multifold, but one of them is the perfectionistic attitude, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and they expect perfection not just from themselves, but from other people. So the second part is interpersonally. If you're self-critical, you're usually critical of other people as well. You have these expectations. People disappoint you all the time, and your relationships are weak. And we're social animals, so we need solid relationships. Um, and being pissed off at everybody for never living up to your expectations and being despondent because you can never live up to your own expectations of perfection destroys you. Mm -hmm. So if you can turn that around and that, you know, and recognize that it's self, it's empowering, it's truly empowering to recognize your weaknesses, faults, et cetera. That's how you turn it around. And that's how you help you, know, you make a healthy society. Um, but again, it's, it's in today's world, it's, it's look, we're social animals. So we, 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 what's being modeled for us is so unhealthy because if anyone looks at politicians these days or anybody admitting one's mistake is seeing being seen as a sign of weakness you're flip-flopping right and and what are we teaching our kids no, you know we see people just lying to get out of things even minor things we see like that's all they're seeing so we're not seeing strong models who say yeah i screwed up and here's what i'm going to do to fix it mm -hmm. That's what we need to show. And, and parents have to show that to their kids as well. Um, not all the time. Like, geez, my kids don't know half the things I screw up. Um, <laughs> but when I do screw up, yeah. like I'm the first one to admit it. And I yeah. tell them, like I used to, I might have said this to you before, I would snap at my kids or I'd yell or, or whatever. And I'd go right up to them. I said, you know what? Daddy's wrong. I screwed up. I had a temper tantrum. I mm -hmm. said, what you did was wrong and you pissed me off. But there was no reason for me to react that way. Mm -hmm. And so A, I'm modeling taking responsibility. And B, this is a slightly different question, but B, I'm not allowing them to internalize my own fucked up in this. Yeah. Okay. Because if I yell at them and they think daddy's God and perfect, then the only reason I'm yelling at them so crazily it's is their because fault. they must. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to prevent that. Um, but again, I don't say they didn't do anything wrong. I explain what they did. Yeah. I just show my reaction was, you know, yeah, that's the first thing is, is tough to, to, to divide the line between a child being just a child and the child being someone that you're showing by example who you are. I'm it, it, what, what, what brought thoughts, what you were just saying to me is like this first time I've been actually like sort of managing a group of people, a group of people and my big flaw. Well, I mean, my big observation of usually the people who work above me is that they were not willing to admit fault at all. Right. And I'm using this. I mean, like, I will look at something, go, yeah, I made, I mean, there's a, little mistakes are little mistakes. You make those mistakes a lot in life, you know. The big mistakes is right. the one you try not to make so many mistakes in because the bigger the mistake, the bigger the uh, the outcome or the more harsh the outcome. But when you admit to the someone, when somebody says something, uh, oh, oh, that's a mistake, I'm sorry, that I made a mistake. 
that to me is one of the first things that people like sort of go, oh, okay, well, he's not perfect. He's not claiming to be perfect. Therefore, there is no conflict now. Because if someone says, if someone is a constant, like say a pig, like they just make mess everywhere and you go, you got to clean all this mess up. This is a mess. You can't, why are you working this way? This is ridiculous and stupid. And then they'll come into my office and it's messy. Or, you know what I mean? So for, for me, I'd rather have a messy office and just clean it up rather than to really try to pin someone down about being in the wrong. And that's an observation of people that I've worked for, that they want to put you in a position where you're subservient as opposed to a team member. So, but at the same time, you have to make decisions sometimes they don't, they don't like, you know, that's, that's just, that's part of be, be, kind of about being the boss. But empathy, right. empathy is the most important, you know, tool that I try to, you know, convey into the, into the ethos of my, my world. <laughs> right. Well, again, it goes back to perspective because what you described a healthy person would see this as somebody who's being empathetic, um, who's being considerate of other people's needs or just being uh, adaptive. It's like, you know, it won't make much sense to do A, B, or C. Other people who have a rigid mindset or who maybe have a more toxic mindset would say, oh, he's being a weak boss or he's afraid of conflict or he's mm. this or that. And, you know, again, it's it's two different ways of looking at the same thing. And as long as you're being realistic, if you know for fact that you did like you should have said something or you should have done something like that and you're just trying to irrationalize it and try to pretend it wasn't what it was, mm -hmm. that's not healthy. That's no. a defense mechanism. But if you can honestly say, you know what, in that particular position, I could have done this way or that way, but I made the most adaptive choice, the most productive choice, right? The harm harmonious choice or whatever else, you don't feel bad about it. And, and by the way, when you rationalize and you try to pretend it was what it wasn't, mm -hmm. okay, part of your brain knows that. And so oh, yeah. you're carrying around this kind of disconcerting feeling. But when you know for a fact that, no, this is why I did it, and this is genuine everything, you feel light. Mm -hmm. You totally feel light. And what you said, that was actually the name of the book. I, I doubt I'll ever write it. So if someone steals the title, go ahead. But this book I was going to write like 20-something years ago was called, I Fucked Up, I'm Sorry. <laughs> okay? And if more people could learn to say that, because what you said, it's so disarming. Yeah, There's no need for conflict when you just own it right there. And so many people today are not expecting that they are waiting for the battle they're waiting for the resistance and the defensiveness and when you don't do it it throws them off and i'll tell you i like i've i've trained so many of my patients and students mm -hmm. um in the corporate world in, within families with roommates or whatever how to engage in the right way now i haven't read any books on that i know there's like a billion books on the topic it's just i've learned this just through you know my understanding of human psychology seeing what, what you know, how people operate and everything like that but there are books that, that talk about this and, and I, i've seen people who try to follow these books and it's very artificial mm. like they're following this it's like somebody who can always cook by following a, a recipe and they never learn to just you know okay I, I get the premise now let me just break some eggs without you know following this recipe there's a big difference between that and you know so so if anyone ever does try to find these better ways of relating or interacting or whatever you know try to go beyond the book what's more important is when you put into practice be present in practice and not too analytical not say aha this step worked in this point so next time i'll do this step not like that just kind of being in the moment with the person and that's part of the empathy as well it's not feeling the person's pain or whatever but there's a connectedness yeah. that, that you experience yeah okay Right. And, and that's how you grow as a person. That's how you grow as a better person. And that's how you just feel better in your interactions. Yeah. 
I mean, <clears throat> I've witnessed more people crying in front of me, like, uh, because of what the workload is ever. Like, I mean, I've never seen, you know, I mean, you could extrapolate a lot out of that, but at the same time, this is, I don't know. It's an interesting concept to think, well, people can relate to you as I, I'm going to stop there. But the part about reading the book and following the instructions, um, that's an amazing, I mean, I, cause I've, we've all had that person like, so that just read that book and then they start right. practicing the book on you and you're like, really? Yeah, really. I was, you know, the way that you're speaking to me now sounds like you're not you right now. You know what right. I mean? And they have, <clears throat> they have like coaching, uh, in 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 coaching a team environment study course, and the person comes back after the the two day seminar and starts practicing these crazy things. It's like, hold on a second, hold on a second. <laughs> what are you trying to sell me, snake oil here? I don't I don't understand this. Uh, you know, but I I always love. You ever heard of um. Uh, cat, uh, catchphrase bingo, or no, t- oh, um, uh, like you know, the cliches like get your ducks in a row. Right, um, right. they have a, a catchphrase bingo game that you can actually play in meetings, and every time the What's boss the says these silly things, you can actually dab. And we used to go to meetings where you could just, you know, was run this up the flagpole, or you know what I mean? It's like every cliche under right. the sun, and I've really tried to sort of like not be that. Because right. being human is, and you get, we're a team. I mean, you got everybody in society, we're all a team. We all sort of, you know, understand how each other's work and then go, oh, I can make your life better. And I always use driving down the road as, an, as, a, as a sort of a metaphor to, the, to life, you know. And, and, and when someone cuts you off and you go, oh, God, why is that guy being so mean to me? And we've already talked about this already. I just now I've just triggered myself. But um, at my job, you know, it's, it's, it's very, um, this happens all the time and I work with artists, you know, and that's a whole other animal speaking to people who aren't business people. And, you know, right. and it's all about adapting and, and doing all these interesting things. But, uh, I mean, every time I speak to you, I always feel like there's like, there's so much to learn about other people and not just myself, but other people. Yeah. Well, Hey, the, uh, the day that we think that we've you know, learned everything we need to know, uh, either we're delusional or we're ignorant because, you know, I'm always learning. And I tell this to my class every term. I always learn something new about the topic, something I've taught like 20 times or 60 times. Mm-hmm. I can still learn something new from somebody else or about people. You know, people, very little surprises me, mm-hmm. but I still learn a lot. And, you know, and I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, this is this is part of, what's the right word here? Um, I think it's part of, kind of becoming wiser and this is just that there's a cliche around this and there's a confucius saying but basically it's true which is the wisest people know that they don't know that much right which the opposite the the dunning kruger effect which is where people think they know much more than they really do and um you know that's that's dangerous um the the worst thing i've ever seen it drives me crazy is people who think they're insightful (laughs) when they're not okay because they like oh they, they become self-righteous masquerading as righteous yeah i'm gonna and, say and something it, so important right now <laughs> right or i know myself so i just came well up with this I'm, great thought and i'm gonna tell you what it is <laughs> you know and you know I've, I've said that many times that i you know about a great thought or whatever and then i'll with the punchline i'll say this is something that i thought i came up with on my own 
and I found out, oh, it was, you know, written by whatever. It's humbling. Like I'll tell people that. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm gonna like, you know, it is what it is. I hate these cliches, but I'll acknowledge it. I'm I'm very mindful uh of of what I'm saying and how I'm connecting with others. Not always. Give me a couple of drinks and it might be a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. But um, you know, because because I don't want to, not because it, someone told me this, but I, I don't want to be ungenuine. It's probably not a real word, okay? Yeah. Uh, but the way you're describing someone's reading a book and they're trying these principles or they're just using catchphrases and stuff like that, that's not genuine. Mm-hmm. You're just, you know? So, and, and I, I'm going in circles there, so I'll leave it at that. But, no, no. Um, I mean, we, I mean, as you get older, you just say you get wiser and you start understanding a little bit more in perspective because you're older. Um but it's really tough to um, explain that to a twenty-year-old. That you know, that certain no duh moments, like oh, these are just these are just things that I learned as a, just from keeping my eyes open or sort of understanding how the world works, or try not to burn bridges in in the corporate world or into the professional world or my my world. Because if I if I'm an asshole, there's no way I'd be able to still work with bands and go on tour and do sound and you know. I feel it's as important to sort of carry yourself and have a self-worth of yourself without trying to say, I, I, it drives me nuts when people say, do you know how long I've been doing this for? <laughs> I'm like, I don't care how long I've been doing it for. You're here. You're here with me. You know what I mean? Like right. someone said, I, I think I've told this story before. I've said it on the podcast about to you, but um, there was a lighting person at the, at the Sky Dome doing show, doing a, uh, doing a load in. And then somebody mistook, mis- was mistook, had mistaken him for just being a sort of a normal minion and said, you come over here. He goes, I'm the head of lighting. He goes, Oh, well, I don't care. Come over and help me lift this thing. He goes, I've been doing this for 30 years and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, well, if you've been doing it for 30 years, why are you still here? <laughs> it was such a, it, and I witnessed it in front of me. And that guy was so quick to, to tell that guy, I don't care how long you've been doing this for. There's a big lesson because I try to say with myself, like I've been doing it a long time, but I don't say, I I've, I have emails like people have had email arguments with me by saying I've been doing this for 25 years and I've never had blah 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 and I was like well I don't care how long you've been doing it for you're doing it wrong that's yeah. important you know to know and then when it's a certain situation when somebody if you call somebody doing something wrong um, especially when it comes to like what is considered an actual workday when people say I want to work all day I don't want to have to take any dinner breaks and things like that and you say no that's not what happens here. Well, I've been doing this for so many years. You know, it's like, I don't care. If you're wrong, you're wrong. There's no, you know what I mean? Like, so I try not to lord how long I've been doing something over somebody because it's a sign of, I'm trying to validate myself to you. And I don't need to validate myself to people. I just need to do a good job and come home and have a cup of coffee and talk to a guy like you. (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) Yeah, well... But that's what you're describing. The healthy part of it is the opposite of what a lot of people do, which is, as you said, they're trying to validate their self worth, or they're trying to elevate themselves, or they're trying to dominate uh, somebody else, or you know, assert themselves and so on. Um, which is simply just it's it's. Um, I mean, in some cases, it's practical if you're at work or whatever. But when it goes beyond what it needs to go, when they're pulling rank, when they're doing all these things, defending themselves, it's just a reflection of insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that simple. If you're secure in yourself, you can laugh at yourself. If you're secure in yourself, you're open to criticism or you know constructive feedback or whatever else like that. Um, and, and that's what it is. And because I know that, 
And I want people to understand. I don't want them to just start saying, okay, well, um, like if they do something wrong themselves and someone calls them out on it, they go, oh, well, they're just calling me out because they're insecure. That's not what I'm saying, right? <laughs> no, no. Don't make excuses. Yeah. Um, but the reason it's important to recognize that okay, is not to be judgmental or to belittle them, but so that you don't get triggered yourself. That is so important because we're social animals. We get triggered. You look at me a certain way, unconsciously, I can get triggered in a good way or a bad way. Mm -hmm. And if someone's acting like a jerk or pulling all these things, because here's the thing, if this guy says, I've been doing this for 30 years, I could interpret that as not just that he's trying to pull rank, but that he's looking down on me. Yeah. And if he's looking down on me, now suddenly, you know, my insecurities are being triggered or whatever else, right? So I try my best when I'm dealing with people. Uh, you know, I, I do it mostly unconsciously because it's too tiring to do all the time. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's become natural to me. Um, I just, I, I don't, well, for lack of a better word, I don't take it personally. Yeah. You know, I figure it's on them. Uh, and again, it's, it's just simply because I don't want to have a negative reaction. I can't have a negative reaction. In fact, um, you know, bring it back to my heart. Uh, 20 something years ago, I made a conscious decision before I knew how bad my heart was. Thank God. I didn't even know I had a bad heart. Mm -hmm. I just knew that my father had uh, had a heart attack and his father had died of a heart attack. Right. So that's all that I knew. Um, and so I, I was angry. I would get triggered easily. I'd be, you know, I'd be reactive. And I simply said, nobody's worth kill like dying over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I forced myself. So, you know, I always tell this to my patients when I'm trying to help them adopt the same, same mindset. I say, look, I wasn't normally like this. I was a neurotic, angry, hostile, defensive, insecure, reactive person. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of effort. And I said, I, I said, I'm worse than you were. Mm -hmm. So I, I was worse than you are. And, you know, I said, but, but I, I overcame it. And so that's what it's all about. It's, it, it's doing it because you want to improve as a person. You want to live a better life. And, and if you think about it, here's how I always tell people, we're all irrational. Women are not more rational than men. They just show their irrationality different than men. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, cause we're all irrational. And if you think about it, if you know for fact that by conducting yourself in a certain way, you're decreasing the quality of your life. You're literally shortening your life because every time you stress yourself out or whatever else, you're taking off a couple of seconds of your life down the road. You're causing a pain to your heart or your brain or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you know that these things can kill you and you don't take act or, or to decrease your quality of life and you don't take active steps to, to make changes that aren't that difficult, we're not asking you to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. We're asking you not to be so reactive. That's the most goddamn irrational thing I can think of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Well, I, uh, I'm so, I'm glad that, you know, you're on the road to recovery. I'm, I'm happy that you're, uh, you look healthy. You look, you know, well, it's you, terrible lighting. People can't uh, see a thing. No, it's no, bad lighting. it's bad lighting, but I mean, honestly, uh, to go, <clears throat> I mean, I only try to put myself into your shoes as I know. And to an extent, I kind of had a little bit of it, but it wasn't like rip open my heart and, 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 and you know, take, you know, it's, it's to me, um, and to be back at work, I don't know if that's stupid or if that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a, you know, a wise yeah, look, decision, again, but. Well, I'm, I'm taking it easy. Yeah. My mind, the sad thing is like my mind's operating pretty well. Mm -hmm. For over a month now, I haven't done any of my written reports that I have to do for court. I'm falling so damn behind. I can't get myself into that mindset. Right. Uh, and, and yesterday, or sorry, Thursday. I saw four patients and I taught for three hours and I said, that just wiped me out. And I, and, you know, I said, 
normally a seven hour day is a holiday for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm used to much longer days. So my, my, my baseline is different, but I, you know, I'm not pushing it too, too, too hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm being careful. Um, and because, but you know, to me, my work gives me meaning and purpose. Again, this is what I was trying to explain to my wife when she said, take the term off. I said, teaching's my, the, the most wonderful thing I've yeah. ever done. It, and it's funny because I had a guest last week. Um, she's somebody who does these great, I, I should introduce you to her. You know what? She'll be a great guest. Oh yeah. She does Please do. videos. I'll yeah. send you an email with her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with her name. Anyway, she came into the class and she, she watched it. She happened to be out of town. She, uh, from out of town, she came in and it was my first day back physically. And, um, I was a bit shaky on my feet. I was weak. I was like, you know, like I was lightheaded because the walk, I had walked more to do that, you know, yeah. than I had before uh, in a while. And she said within 10 minutes, she goes, you got stronger as the class went on. She said, I could see it. Your colors coming back. Like I was hulking up. Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, because I, I just love it. I feed off of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's why it's not so crazy that I'm doing this stuff. It's, it, it's healing me. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy I replaced had to go on medical leave, and uh, <clears throat> there was a pretty fast uh, decline in health after you know he was told to not come to work. So it's tough to think, but people do need that. You know, they need part of that's what fulfills them. You know, I think it's to a degree the same idea as when a when you say if you're you've lived with the same person for sixty years and one passes away and then statistically speaking the other one usually goes within six months for the men for the men yes yeah for the women it doesn't they like yeah well the, my, my grandfather lasted a lot longer than my grandmother but i um, mean it was one of those maybe that's the same idea i mean like obviously oh, it's yeah. the same thought right the train train but you know and I just had lunch with him the other day and he's saying you know my job now is going to the hospital i go to the hospital four times a week and that's my job uh, now. So I'm like, right. oh, you know, and it's, it's an inch. I mean, it's, it really does like the job kind of did kind of put him there because of whatever the work stress and everything and not taking care of himself and life choices and things like that. But right. what I'm taking it, what I'm taking home from this is that, all right, well, I just had an email and I'm not going to read it till tomorrow because I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm not going to work tonight, right. you know, and if I read it, I'll read it and I'll still mark it new or unread and I'll deal with it tomorrow because that's what quality of life is, is just that trying to balance yeah. it, you know, and it comes it's there to come around full circle now, but being able to balance work and life and, um, that's, I also, I think is rewarding is now I feel there's a balance, you know, I, and balance that, is one of the biggest things that we need to find in life. Truly. Yeah. So I'm glad that you, you know, that's part of the reason you're feeling so good. Yeah. Right. And balance six different forms. It's not just number of hours. It's the amount of pressure, how you feel, there's responsibilities, all these different things. So yeah, yeah I'm glad that you found, you have a yeah. better balance. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> so I mean, we should, we should probably uh, zip it up because I got to go for a walk because I'm on a step challenge with my coworkers and I'm kicking their ass right now. So uh, I, uh, I, I, I really am glad to see that you're, uh, back on your feet and i was frightened when i heard about all the stuff and i'm like oh gosh that's uh i don't want that guy to go away because he's he's a <laughs> we still got to do our smart guy dumb guy podcast that's a that's another i'm still waiting for that i know well you know what now i got a new job i might have more time on my hands i might have I actually have time to do the smart guy dumb guy podcast like with real bits too we're not gonna like you know talk 
like a couple of smart smart guys. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a like, this is gonna be a produced <laughs> slick piece of machine. We're gonna we're gonna go through. But but I uh, I really yeah I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking and uh, let's uh, let's do it again every year once a year. Okay, or more whenever or you want more or the podcast. Get it. Get your shit together, man. <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now, I I won't get mine together. I'm I'm helpless with this. So good talking okay. to you. All right, thanks, Simon. And there he was, Mister Orin Abate, back from the dead. That was a nice long one, wasn't it? Uh, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Thanks to go. Thanks if you need some help, go to BetterHelp.com/slash/apolog. Enter apolog in at the at the initial time there. Get matched with a therapist. Shop on Amazon by going to Amazon. Actually, shop on Amazon by going to appalog.ca slash Amazon or appalog.ca slash US Amazon. Support the show. Buy some stuff. Burp. Um, all right, so I got to go to work. So I will have this episode up within the next hour or so. I just need to go to work a little bit earlier today because I need to go deal with some bullshit. So um, everybody, next week, I will see you again. I will be here. Have a good day, have a good week, have a good life. Goodbye.